Thank you for joining this sermon podcast from Cornerstone Fellowship in Forest City, North Carolina. We hope that you are blessed and encouraged by today's message. Cornerstone exists to glorify God as we passionately pursue Him and make Him known through worship, discipleship, fellowship, and outreach. Here's today's message. This morning we're in Sermon 9. Sermon 9 of our series from 1 Peter. Our series is entitled Our Living Hope. If you were here Wednesday night among about 10,000 other things, and by the way, we had some great questions Wednesday night from the guys, but uh, we, we talked about uh, general epistles, and this is one of them. General epistles were those smaller, shorter letters in the New Testament, usually not named for the location like Corinth or Galatia, but usually they'll carry the name of the one who wrote them, like James or Peter or John. There are seven of them, and we're in one of them, have been for some time. And we're at 1 Peter chapter 3 this morning, and we're going to begin in verse 1. 1 Peter chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. In the same way you wives be submissive to your own husbands so that even if any of them are disobedient to the word they may be won without a word by the the behavior of their wives and as they observe your chaste or purity and respectful behavior your adornment must be merely, not merely external, braiding of the hair and wearing gold jewelry or putting on dresses. But let it be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is precious in the sight of God. For in this way, in former times, the holy women also who hoped in God used to adorn themselves, being submissive to their own husbands. Just as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. We had some fun at my house this week with that. And then after a while it wasn't fun. <laughs> and you have become her children if you do what is right without being frightened by any fear. Peter will go on into verse 7. We'll read it later. Uh, next week probably. But he gives six verses to the wives and one verse to the husbands. And there are a lot of cute things I could say about that, but Lord's almost gotten me divorced. So I'll, I'll withhold that. But I, I can tell you there is a reason for that. There's probably no way in the world we could ever imagine the social situation and domestic situation and religious situation in which first century women lived. It was 
incredible. And when Christianity came along, it brought an incredible challenge. It took it to a whole new level because in this culture, if a husband accepted Christ, then it's a shoe-in. His wife is going to as well. She is going to follow him. That's just how the culture was. There would be no questions asked. But, but, but we've got something new here with Christianity. It's going to stand out differently than religion in that it is very possible that it happened quite often that the wife would accept Christ and become a follower of Christ and the husband would not. That creates an incredibly difficult Situations. Matter of fact, for the wife to be saved and not the husband was unthinkable. And, and it created for her some challenges that, that you just can't put into words. First of all, let's look at the social status of, that, that, that surrounded women in that day. If you had under Greek law, and remember the Greeks have by now been conquered by the Romans, but the one part... Uh, uh, of the Greco history that was not conquered was their culture. It pervaded uh, all of society, the thinking, the, the ideas about sexuality and, and marriage and all of that. It was very pervasive. So if you went back even to the Greek culture and looked at women, she was always property of her husband. He owned her and she owned nothing, really. She had no rights. And she could be divorced, but she could never divorce him. She basically lived at his own will. And legally, if you go on and look at Roman law, legally she lived as a child, basically. Her legal status was that of a child. Uh, Protestus Patria is property of the father. And that was a status she would have in Roman culture under Roman law. And she wouldn't lose it when she got married. She would just go from belonging to her father to belonging to her husband. She would have absolutely no rights whatsoever. If she committed infidelity, he could kill her and no questions asked. There'd be no investigation. There would be no trial. She just died. As uh, a matter of fact, uh, in studying for the passage, I went back and, and read of several uh, predominant uh, or, or, or popular marriages, I guess you would say, of different aristocrats in Greek and Roman culture. And, and one of the, the guys just beat his wife to death on the street one day because she spoke to someone of a lower class. He beat her to death and left her body laying in the street and went on. It's incredible. This was the kind of life that, that they lived in. She could be killed for not wearing a veil. All kinds of things could happen to her under Roman law. She had no rights. What about Jewish law? Well, if you look at the religious, the, the, the most pervasive religious thinking of that time, it would have been Judaism, if you, unless you were a Roman pagan and part of one of their cults. But even if you were part of Judaism, if you think about it, look at the Ten Commandments. And if you look at the very last commandment that we're given, do not covet your neighbor's male servant or his female servant or his house or his ox or his donkey 
for his wife. Wow, what a list to be a part of women. Women were thought of as nothing. But I want to tell you something. If anybody ever tells you that Christianity has a misogynistic history and doesn't recognize the importance and value of women, they are either ignorant or lying. This is one of the... Christianity came along and it turned the world on its head when it comes to women. It gave her rights she had never had before. And I'm not talking about rights that she would have had in culture but not at church. No, I'm talking about the culture did not recognize her at all. But if she was a born again Christian, I can tell you something. With what Christ came and what Christ brought to us, it was so transformational to, to women. You just it's, it's difficult to even explain she was, she had something in Christ she had nowhere else. And I would say it is still that way to this very day. And I can tell you, even though women went through a difficult time with that, Peter says you have, I don't want to say it's a secret weapon, but it almost is. We don't talk much about it. You have something about you if you are a godly woman, Peter says, that is absolutely powerful. The, the influence that you have as a godly woman is incredible. And he unearths that for us in these six verses. He says your beauty is so pervasive, it, it, it can transform people. As a matter of fact, he says... Your biblical understanding of beauty could actually transform your husband. And, and man, when I look at God's and how He uses women today, I, I think there's seven times more single women on the mission field than there are single men. Women have a tremendous advantage in that area. But Peter tells us why. And women, it is because you are beautiful. Amen. Amen. I didn't sound like a woman that said that. Do you get an elbow, some husband? Absolutely. But now you've got to understand something. We, we have to realize that God's measurement of beauty is different than ours. Otherwise, you'll think, oh, he's just all shucks. He's, oh, stop it, preacher Mike. I'm not all that pretty. You've got to understand something. God does not measure, almost, there's almost nothing that God measures the way that we do. He doesn't see marriage the way that we do, sexuality the way that we do. He doesn't see gender the way that our world does. Purity, ideas of right and wrong, good and evil, absolute truth. God doesn't see any of those things the way that our world sees them. And you can add to that list beauty. He sees beauty in a completely different way. I want to share with you this morning. And I, I, I almost went on and brought the men's part in with it. This is not an easy passage to preach because it, it, it kind of deals with, with societal, domestic issues. And, and, and boy, it, it really took me a while to see where God was going with this and wanted us to go with this today. But, but, but when the light came on, it was bright. Because I want to share with you today some blessings of biblical beauty. There's some things that your beauty as a woman 
that inner beauty that God has given you. And he's going to talk about what that's like. He's going to tell you uh, what that inner beauty is like. It's not just to play on words. It's not to just encourage you if you're down about your looks. It's not about that at all. God says, no, 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 no. It is a radically different understanding of what beauty is like. And, and the world may call you Miss America and you may be the ugliest thing that God has ever seen. Because he doesn't measure beauty that way. But he says, women, you have an advantage. You have a powerful advantage within you. And it is your biblical sense of beauty. First of all, the effectiveness of it. In the same way in verse 1. In the same way as what? Well, he has already told us in the previous verses. He says, Christ is our example. He's the one that came and died for us and He submitted to the cross and He didn't have to. <clears throat> if any of this stuff got on your nerves as I read the Scripture, maybe you were sitting here today, ladies, and I don't know, maybe you've never heard this passage. and Maybe you're thinking, yeah, buddy, if He's waiting on me to call Him Lord, He'll die waiting on that. And maybe it just, make, it just brought out something in you that just made you bow up and, 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 and maybe you were thinking, wow, I... Now, I never heard that. Well, that's too bad because I didn't make it up. It's in Scripture and it has been there uh, the, from, from, from the uh, origin of the New Testament ever since Peter wrote these words. It's been there. And it is true. But, but I'm telling you, if you get caught off on that tangent of somebody's trying to put you down or, or subordinate you or whatever, if you go that route with it, you're going to miss all of this truth. And you'll leave here today as ugly as you came in. We want you to leave here beautiful today. Uh, the same way, the same way as Christ, who left heaven's glory, came here, lived on this earth. He talked about it in chapter 2. He said they spit in his face, they pulled out his beard, they slapped him around, they reviled him, but he didn't revile them back. And he was innocent of all of the charges. They took the precious Son of God who had never sinned one time in all of His life and, and, and they treated Him like He was a common criminal and they savagely beat Him to death. And because of His love for you, He submitted to that. And because He was bringing honor and glory to God and that was more important than anything else. So ladies, let's get off on the right foot. Just like Christ did. That's the way you have to do it. Just like Christ, in the same way, you wives be submissive to your own husbands. I, I, I like that. Make sure you take note of that. He's not talking about just generally and culturally women should be submissive to men. You're less than men. You should submit to all men. Uh, uh, just everywhere you go in life, if there's a man, sit down uh, a man. If there's a man, sit down and shut up. See how nervous I am? I know I could get killed before I leave here today. <laughs> I've been dreading that verse about Lord for two weeks. But what he is saying to us is this. No, it's not about just some societal moray or norm. No, he has said within the Christian home to your own husband. You don't have to take a back seat to anybody. But within your home to your husband, be submissive to your own husband. So that even if any of them are disobedient to the word. That's the way he describes lostness. We describe lostness nowadays as 
well, they just don't believe this or that. Or, or, or they see things differently. Or they've got a different opinion. No. If you are lost, you're lost because you are disobedient to the Word of God. It's more than just, well, you believe one thing, I believe another. We see things differently. No, we are being disobedient to the Gospel. That's what makes us lost. We're not trusting in Christ to save us. We're not totally putting our faith and trust in Christ to save us. We're still arguing and bantering back and forth about how we were raised and, and what we believe and all of that. None of that matters. If He is disobedient to the Word of God, then He is lost. But even He may be one without a word by the behavior of their wives. Man. That is so powerful. You, you could win your husband without a word. When he sees your life, he's going to talk about some things in here that, that he will see, but man, i got to tell you, with, 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 with that saying a word, women, you're not trying to win an argument. You're, you're not, you're not going to uh, uh, maybe win him over by preaching to him or hounding him or nagging him. But if you just be quiet and you live for God and you stay submitted to the Lord and you glorify Him and you are willing even to submit yourself to your husband, not because you're less than him, but because you love God and you're first at all and foremost submissive to God, then you might win your husband without ever opening your mouth. I've had a few women down through the years who have lost husbands. And they would tell me things. And of course, back then, I don't think I had no sense to correct them. I'll probably say, yeah, keep it up. I don't know. But they'd say, well, he's lost, preacher. But I'm going to tell you, every day, I keep that Christian music on that radio. He don't like it. Thinking, yeah, I bet he don't. The other night, he was watching the ball game. I went into her and Billy Graham. Hmm. Well, that ought to get him. I bet he'll be here next Sunday. <laughs> You're just giving him an excuse to go on and be with his friends and ignore you some more. You're not going to win him by nagging him. And if you think you're going to come up with a better argument, forget it now. But he may see something in your life, that inner beauty that God has given you. He might see something in that that could change his heart. And leading to Christ. Secondly, the evidence of this biblical beauty. What, what does it look like? Well, in verse 2, they observe your chaste or purity and respectful behavior. Purity and respect. Today, our world, and, and, and it should shine. Because in our world, we are just absolutely suffocated with a lack of purity, impurity, and disrespect. I'm, I'm just telling you, our, our world is so full of, of just all kinds of uh, just horrible, worldly, godless things that just shake the fist in the face of God and says, I want to be as depraved and, and, and have as much debauchery in my life as I want to have and nobody's going to tell me any different. So I can tell you now, if you're a woman and you're pure and you are respectful in your life, you're going to stand out like a sore thumb. 
You're going to shine in this darkness. It's, it, it's easy to do it. And by the way, I want to tell you something. This is not some pathological distortion. Don't, don't get into that. I, I remember growing up in a very conservative Baptist church where women weren't allowed to wear pants uh, to church. Uh, where, I, I don't know, I think women did wear jewelry and makeup, but there were other churches around us the women didn't wear makeup, they didn't cut their hair, they didn't wear jewelry, they took passages like this one here, where he says, don't find your beauty in all of those things, and they take it to mean don't ever wear any of those things. You just uh, come in plain Jane, and you've seen it before, where the women come to a church and no makeup and their hair's all up in a bun and, and they're just as plain Jane as they can be. And they feel like that that's some kind of, a, 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 it, it's a special uh, uh, honor to God for them to do that. I'm not so sure that it works that way. Matter of fact, I'm quite sure it does it. I remember one time Loretta and I were visiting with an older pastor. That's back years ago when there were older pastors in me. And we were in their home and, and when we left, we were both like, wow. At the meal that night, all around the table, she called him Reverend. Reverend, would you like some more tea? I was looking at Loretta like, wow. How about that? She was looking at me like, yeah, how about that? <laughs> Let me just say this and I'll, I'll move on. For all of the millennials, not all of them, but the younger generation that used to look on all that with disdain and hate it with all of their heart, you have now become the thing you hated cancel culture has sucked you in and now you are passing out rules like they're going out of style yeah but our world's full of decadence i remember years ago i used to do this little seminar on rock music <laughs> and it's back when backward masking used to be a thing that was short-lived because they quit saying it backwards and just went to screaming it forward. And it didn't take long. But I thought about some of those records I used to try to play backwards and, and, and you could just barely tell they were saying something maybe in there about God. And I, I, I question a lot of that now, but uh, I, I can tell you we all have to grow and learn. But I think about nowadays, we've gone from trying to find some secret hidden message in a Motley Crue album to uh, these gals that did this thing at the Grammy awards or whatever it was I, I, I it, you you can't even say the name of that song it is so trashy and filthy some of you know what it is it is so trashy and those two women on national television they portrayed a sex act between two women right there in front of the whole world Women, I'm going to tell you something. You won't have a hard time standing out if you have purity and respect. Thirdly, the endurance of biblical beauty. It will last longer. 
lasts longer than anything else. Verse 4, but let it be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit which is precious in the sight of God. It, it, that doesn't go away. That doesn't get wrinkles. It doesn't fade away. It doesn't get spots. It, that is a beauty that is imperishable. And when you think about the fact that we spend billions of dollars in our world every year, older women trying to look younger and younger women trying to look older. 225 million dollars a year, I believe it is, uh, just for beauty products and things like that. I forgot the exact figure, but man, it's an incredible market that is out there. We're trying our best to make ourselves look better on the, on the physical side, the look on the outside. And, and I can tell you, there's nothing wrong with looking your best. I'm, I'm not saying that. If, if, if you are gifted with, with outer beauty, wonderful, and, and there's nothing wrong. Don't, I'm not saying just forget about the external and neither is Peter. But when you get to that point where it is obvious that you are just defying reality. Just remember this, ladies. It costs a lot to look cheap. When you begin to go into that, uh, those latter years fighting and kicking and screaming too much, next thing you know, you look more hideous than you do beautiful. I, 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 inner beauty doesn't fade. It will be here when all of the outer beauty is gone forever. Um, and, and there's nothing wrong again with outward attractiveness, but it should come from within and not out of a jar. It should come from inside of you. It's effectiveness, it's evidence, it's endurance. Number four, the expression of biblical beauty. It comes forth in a, verse four, a quiet and gentle or a gentle and quiet spirit which is precious in the sight of God. Pareos, pareos is a word for gentle. We've talked about it before. It's one of the fruit of the spirit. It is Really, we translate it sometimes meekness. It doesn't mean weakness. But it is controlled power. It's like the bit in a horse's mouth that weighs 1,500 pounds and 17 hands tall. You might be able to just latch him to uh, uh, almost anything and he'll stand there half a day. It, it's because he's been trained. He's got the power to go wherever he wants to. But it, the, it, this word in the Greek doesn't mean you're weak. It means that you have made a conscious decision to have a sense of gentleness about you. And that word quiet is interesting as well. It doesn't mean go over there and sit down and shut up. It's, it's a different kind of word. It means a tranquil spirit about you. It means that like a quiet uh, uh, lake early in the morning when there is no wind. You have a peace 
about you. You're not just always in a rage, always in a hurry, always trying to uh, defy something, always uh, rebelling or, or, or always having a problem with this, that, or the other. If you're not careful sometimes, and I, I, I know, if, especially if you're not in a good marriage uh Man, I, my heart goes out to you. But if you're not careful, it, it's real easy, women, for you to get to the point that, that you just are constantly dissatisfied. That goes for men as well. That inner beauty comes forward as a, as a quiet, a quiet kind of spirit. Tranquil, peaceful. Number five. The essentials of biblical beauty. For this way, listen to this, in former times, holy women also who hoped in God used to adorn themselves being submissive to their husbands. That's how they adorn themselves. That's the makeup they put on. Submissiveness to their husband. Purity. Gentleness. A peace about them. That's, that's what they wore. That's how they adorned themselves. Now, this is a part that I was hoping and praying we would definitely get to today. Because i got to tell you, most of what I've said and all of what I've read, unless you were first of all a born-again Christian, you're never going to accept that. Never. It, 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 uh, man, in our world today, I mean, this could get you kicked off of Facebook. <laughs> I hope it does it us, but it could. I'm not trying, though sometimes it may seem that way. But I'm just telling you, this will rub you the wrong way every time. I, I've preached sermons like this before, and there's always a few that you can just almost tell. they they got sparks coming off their teeth. Their jaw is so tight. I'm not saying this to anybody. I'm not whatever. I, Man, you've got two handfuls of rights and a ton of pride and, and there's just no way you're backing down and, and all of that. And, and well, I believe the Bible and all that, but it was written a long time ago and, 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 and the culture in that day influenced it. Did you hear the first part of what I preached? Does that sound like the culture influenced any of this? Absolutely not. This went against the culture. So let me tell you this. There's two essentials for this interview. One is holiness. Unless you have been born again, unless God Almighty has touched your life and transformed your heart, being a church member, you won't do it. There is no way in the world. You'd never, this kind of submission is miraculous in itself. Only God can bring it about in our lives. I, I can just tell you. There is no way in the world you're going to like any of this or embrace any of this until, first of all, you have become a born-again Christian. You know, one of the things, and I hate it, I'm so old and I'm so late in the ministry learning this. I preached for so many years out of frustration, wondering why people don't get it. But I've learned until He has you, you will never get it. I am absolutely a fool to think that somehow or another I can package it or preach it or present it in a way 
that will make you embrace it. Until you embrace him, die to self. Oh, I've done weddings before. We get to that part about where she's going to say love and obey. I'm not saying that. I remember one time talking a woman into saying it. If I had that to do over now, and I, I know I'm older and I'm crusty and I don't do very many weddings, but that would have been the end of it. Because I would have looked at her and said, Lady, you'll do a lot, thing, a lot of things. If you stay married very long, you'll do a lot of things tougher than obey. Man, a lot. If you still got qualms about that, and if it's something in Scripture, I mean, and you got qualms with it, until God changes your heart and life, you will leave here today and you'll go, well, yeah, I appreciate kind of what He said, but hey, a lot of that I just don't agree with. Well, it's up to you. you. You don't have to agree with it. But once you come to know Him as your Savior, then it won't be up to you anymore. And you won't mind. Because you'll do it to glorify Him. Well... Also, you have to have holiness in your life. God has to change it. And the second thing he mentions under that is hope. Another essential for this is hope. It says her hope is in God. These women in the past that did this, who grew up in cultures that were way worse than ours, where women were treated like second-class trash, how did they do it? Well, their hope was in God. It wasn't in their husband. It wasn't in their external looks. It, it, it wasn't in some foolishness in this life. Their hope was in God. That's where they found their hope. I, I can tell you, it's not in fancy clothes. It's not in jewelry. It's not in a new look, a new dress, a new car, a new whatever. When you put your hope in God, and maybe like a lot of women, I, I, I've seen them before that, so many disappointments in life. So many relationships that went south. So many times. And I think about the woman at the well who had had five husbands already and was living with a man at the time that she wasn't even married to then. Man. She had put her hope in the wrong man six times until she finally met Jesus. And she put her hope in Him. That's where you have to put your hope. Hope in God. Hope in God. I love this one verse and then we'll move to our last point. Proverbs 31, 25. It says, strength and dignity are her clothing. That's what she wears. I'm not sure they sell that at Belk's. Strength and dignity. And she smiles at the future. She's not afraid. She knows challenges are coming. But she smiles because her hope is in God. Her hope is in God. Last of all, the effectiveness, the evidence, the endurance, expression, essentials, the example. He closes with an example of biblical beauty. Just as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. My wife left before I got to this part. <laughs> Can we wait? And you have become her children. 
Your daughter's a Sarah, ladies, he says. You have become her children. Call him Lord. You have become her children if you do what is right without being frightened by any fear. Sarah was afraid. She was scared. But her situation was a little different. But Peter says that you can be just like Sarah. Just without any fear. You can be like Sarah without all the worries that she had. Where are we going to have this child? And, and, and let me tell you this about the Lord part. I think this is so interesting. If you go to the Scriptures and read them, the first time God tells Abraham and Sarah that they're going to have a baby, Abraham is 75 and she is 65. That's old, Keith. 65. Well, they don't hear from God for a while. They had to figure, yeah, that angel must have had the wrong address. He came over here to the nursing home talking about people having babies. Well, in Genesis 18, the angel renews, or God renews the promise to Abraham and Sarah. And in Genesis 18, Abraham is 99. And Sarah is 89. Wow! And they're about to have a baby shower. How about that? And, and of course, it's amazing because Paul even tells us in Romans 4.19, Abraham's body was dead. I'll let you figure all that out. His body was dead. And Sarah's womb was dead. Paul says that. He was a gynecologist. <laughs> now Abraham didn't hear this. But in verse 12 of chapter 18, she was in the house. And she says these words. She laughed to herself saying, After I have become old, shall I have pleasure? My Lord... Being so old. That's when she called him Lord. He never heard her say it. But he didn't hear her laugh either, did he? But somebody did, didn't they? God says, well, you laughing about it. I, I, she lies to God. We've all done it. I didn't laugh. God's like, oh, yeah, you did. No, mm, mm, mm. No, no, mm -mm. That's how God talks. Mm -mm. I'm God, I know. I heard you. Abraham never actually heard her say it. But she did have a child. Let me tell you this. I do believe, like we started this sermon series, for true believers, those who have really put their faith and trust in Christ, we need this First Peter study. He is addressing areas that we need to take a serious look at. This is nine sermons, and we're just into chapter three. But we're about to face days like we have never faced in our life 
We're going to face persecution like we've never faced in our life. I believe that. I, I don't know exactly how it will all come about, but wow. There's some things coming our way and, and, and the country in which we live right now, it just, it's tough days. But, but, but here is the thing. For those who are truly born again children of God, it's not going to work if you're not that. If you're just a church attendee, I, I, you, you might keep it up. I, I don't know. But most of those will be gone. Most of those will be gone before long. Really? This is for the people who truly have a relationship with God, that God has truly transformed their heart and life, Peter says, when these tough days come. Because he writes this near the end of his life. He writes this after years of thinking that any day now God's coming back. But, but when God didn't come back when they thought He would, and He knew that believers were going to be left on this earth for a period of time, and He had no idea how long, He writes these two letters and He tells us, you better get ready. One of the areas that he tells us about is our homes. Oh, he's going to talk to the husbands. We'll deal with them next week. Women, he didn't give you six verses to one. Because he thought you had more problems than us men do. He'd been trying to talk to us for years. He realizes and knows what a powerful force you can be. You can find your self-worth and your dignity not in fighting, not in going home mad at me today, not in, maybe your husband is sitting there right now thinking, I hope not. Maybe he's thinking, I'm calling a cab. I am not riding home with this one because I know what she's going to say. He better slip out early like he does or he may need more than an arm. shaking your fist at God and trying to find your significance and your beauty and your brain and your status and your understanding of secular beauty and what it takes to get ahead if you are willing to submit all of that to God women I want to tell you you can be a powerful powerful force in this world let's pray God, we come to you. We thank you for our wives. We thank you for their love, their faithfulness to us, God. I, I, I know it may not be this way with everybody, but some of us, God, have been so, so, so blessed. We have wives that love us dearly. And God, they submit to you first and foremost. They love you first and foremost. And God, that makes for a wonderful home. It makes living with them a joy. God, I thank you for my precious wife. I thank you, Lord, for her beauty, Lord. To me, she is gorgeous inside and out. But, but God, I know she has the beauty that really matters. 
that purity and that quietness of spirit, God. Lord, so many times when I've been worried and the tyranny of the urge has just overwhelmed me, God. Lord, she could just speak peace into the situation with her patience and then her just raw ability to trust you. God, I thank you for her. And I pray for the women that are here today that their husband's not sitting with them. And there's a reason for it. Lord, they pray for him. I pray you'd encourage them today. Help them, God, not put their hope in him, but put their hope in you. Lord, I pray that you'd help all of us now as we close today. God, as we forge ahead, thank you. Thank you, God, for giving us this word. And help us to understand and know, Lord, that you chose this part of your church, of all the ages that you could have of allowed to be here when, when this upheaval of, of, of depravity, God, just erupts. Lord, this is the church age that you've allowed to see these days. I pray, God, you would use us. You put us here during this time. I pray we could be light in this darkness. Help us now in Jesus' name. Thank you for joining us today. If you have any questions or would like to know more about Cornerstone, please visit our website at servantsway.com or email us at office at servantsway.com. Cornerstone Fellowship is located at 1186 Hudlow Road, Forest City, North Carolina. Please join us again next week.